0: This is Science Friday, I'm Ariel Dimross. If you have a dog, it's likely that over the past few months you've been hearing about a mysterious canine respiratory illness. It's easy to get a little scared. Some dogs are coming down with severe illness, which can last a long time and doesn't respond to treatment. These reports have come in from across the country, and in some cases, dogs have died. In the age of the internet, it's hard to know just how widespread this actually is and how it compares to something more familiar, like kennel cough. Joining me now to help break down these questions is my guest. Dr. Deborah Silverstein is a professor of critical care medicine at the University of Pennsylvania School of Veterinary Medicine in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Thanks for joining me.
1: Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, it's a pleasure to have you.
0: So just so we're clear on what we're talking about here, what exactly are the symptoms of this illness?
1: Well, the illness that you are likely referring to, which has recently been dubbed the mysterious dog illness, is something that we've actually been seeing for many years and more commonly refer to it as the Canine Infectious Respiratory Disease Complex, or CIRDC as an abbreviation. And it's a very close relative of what you previously mentioned to be kennel cough, Except we now know that kennel cough is really more than just one bug or one infection, but rather it's several different potential organisms that can affect dogs' respiratory tracts and lead to the common signs of coughing and possibly nasal discharge and eye discharge and sometimes make them even feel sick and not want to eat or play with their normal energy levels. And in rare cases can lead to pneumonia and, and even life-threatening illness. What we've been seeing in the past couple of years are perhaps some more severe bacteria or viruses that are affecting dogs. Not necessarily different organisms from what we've previously seen but perhaps mutated organisms or even dogs that have a very naive immune system and just haven't been exposed to other dogs the way that they did perhaps before the pandemic. And we even are seeing a decrease in vaccination levels um, from before the pandemic because it, it has been harder to get into veterinarians to get the vaccines that animals need. So there's probably several factors as to why we have been seeing more dogs coughing and and having respiratory disease. But at at this time, we don't know of a, a mysterious illness, but rather probably something that we've dealt with before that has crept up again. And intermittently, we see more cases of common organisms. I see. So we're
0: probably not talking about one single thing. It's probably a bunch of illnesses, at least some of which are already familiar to us.
1: Yes, that's correct. And I think in human medicine, we often see the same types of problems where we may get a little cold that's probably viral in nature. We don't necessarily run to the doctor when we first feel sick. And then if we don't get better or we get better and then we suddenly feel worse again, we may seek medical advice and see whether there's a secondary infection like a bacterial infection. That's led to a a new problem or one on top of the original problem, like a sinus infection or perhaps a, a lung infection. And the same really holds for dogs where many of them get viral infections that may or may not cause severe illness. But if they get more than one viral infection or they get a bacterial infection such as the classic kennel cough and subsequently get another infection on top of that, they may become sicker than we would typically expect with just a single organism infection. And so it's important that as dog owners, we really just keep a close eye on our pets for any persistence of signs or severe signs where an animal's not eating or wanting to uh, have normal activity levels Or, of course, if they appear to be in respiratory distress where they can't seem to catch their breath, their gums or their tongue might appear slightly lavender or bluish-tinged. Those are indications that we need to bring our animal to the veterinarian or at least call the veterinarian and get advice as to what the best next course of action might be. Okay
0: i feel like some of this might be a little surprising to some of our listeners because there really has been this narrative around you know a mysterious new illness something that we've never seen before and correct me if i'm wrong here but i from what i understand there does seem to be something that's novel in some cases
1: i think that holds for all of time we we are constantly seeing infections that are the same viruses or bacteria, but perhaps are a more severe form, just like with COVID, where there's different strains of the virus, some of which cause a mild cold or, or no symptoms, but others that may cause life-threatening abnormalities. And so I, I do believe that many of the organisms that we've been seeing are the same ones that we have seen in previous years, I I can't say with certainty that there is not a new organism and many laboratories have been working to try and determine if there's anything to worry about, but it's, it's quite common for dogs to get colds, just like for our children that go to daycare to get colds. If a dog is exposed to another dog that may have recently or currently had an upper respiratory tract infection and they are sniffing each other and perhaps breathing some of the same air, it's very easy for them to pass infections from one to the other. And most dogs that have a normal immune system will show very mild signs and then be healthy again. If they are vaccinated, it's possible they may never show any signs or have very mild infection. But because we have a new population of young dogs that maybe were acquired during the pandemic or didn't have a lot of exposure to other dogs during the quarantine period, and many of whom are also not vaccinated, we, we may have a bit of a perfect storm where um, it's, it's similar to the child that's never seen another child and suddenly goes to first grade. More than likely, they will get some infections when they're put in close proximity with other children that likely are, are passing along little upper respiratory tract infections. And it's the same with dogs that maybe are for the first time going to boarding kennels or doggy daycare or groomers or or even classes where they can get better behavior from their isolation during the pandemic. And so they're getting exposed to probably some of the same organisms we've seen in the past, but they have a very naive immune system. And we know that many dogs with flat faces are popular right now, and they tend to have a harder time clearing these infections because their respiratory tract is is not normal compared to dogs with longer noses. Oh, really? So,
0: So dogs like Pugs, for instance, would be more at risk?
1: Yes, yes, exactly. So pugs, bulldogs, uh, the infamous French bulldog that is so popular right now. We know that their immune systems are not always as strong or robust as other types of breeds. So when they get a mild upper respiratory tract infection, they may or may not get over it as quickly as other breeds of dogs. So we are a little bit more cautious when presented with a Uh, what we call brachycephalic, but more commonly known as smushed face or flat face types of dogs with an upper respiratory tract infection, because we know that they are more likely to have issues where they may not be able to breathe or they may develop pneumonia due to altered clearance mechanisms in in their lungs.
0: So what you're describing is sort of a, a complex series of circumstances surrounding these illnesses. And I'm kind of wondering, How does the mortality rate right now when it comes to these respiratory illnesses compare to, to, you know, before the pandemic, for instance? Um, You know, should we actually be more worried than we were before as dog owners? I I personally have two dogs. Uh, How worried should I be right now?
1: Well, that's a great question. And I think there's really not reason to be worried. I do think that it's important to stay updated on information in your area regarding any uptick in respiratory infections in dogs. You might want to ask your daycare, your groomer, anywhere that your dog frequents, especially if they're in close quarters with other dogs. It's important to be aware if there's an outbreak of of upper respiratory tract infection. Similarly, it's important to talk to your veterinarian about what vaccines are most appropriate for your dog based on their lifestyle and to always stay vigilant with regards to what other animals your dog encounters, even at parks or on walks in the neighborhood. If they have any evidence of discharge from their nose or their eyes or they're coughing, it's very easy for your dog, even in a one or two minute encounter, to get exposed to some of these different viruses and bacteria. So for pet owners, I think being cautious is appropriate. I don't think there's need for extreme worry or not taking your dog to socialize, but maybe to limit their interactions with other dogs if there's a known uptick in infections in your area. And to make sure that anywhere you take your dog is a responsible uh, type of business where they take really serious precautions, to identify animals that might have illness, and to prevent any spread of illness in their facilities.
0: All right. Well, it sounds like the takeaway is don't panic. Yes. uh, and, And talk to the people who interact with your dog. Thank you so much. That's all the time we have for now. Dr. Deborah Silverstein is a professor of critical care medicine at the University of Pennsylvania School of Veterinary Medicine in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Thanks for joining me. Thank you for having me. So this quote-unquote mysterious illness might not actually be just one thing, but there does appear to be something new involved here, at least in some cases, and researchers out of New Hampshire are determined to figure that out. Joining me now to talk about what we've learned is my next guest. Dr. David Needle is a pathologist at the New Hampshire Veterinary Diagnostics Laboratory and a clinical associate professor at the University of New Hampshire in Durham. Welcome. Thanks for joining me.
2: Thank you for having me.
0: Okay, so this really is something we haven't
2: seen before. That's what it looks like. And one of the really cool pieces of data is we have a biobank or a biological repository where we freeze back specimens from uh, carcasses and, and other samples that come through the lab. And we save them for diagnostics, but also for potential investigations. And so we have tested samples from 2018 from 15 dogs and did not find evidence of this bacteria. And in addition, if someone publishes a paper looking at the respiratory microbiome or any type of other sequencing based study, they publish all of their data on online repositories. And we searched back through five other studies and found no evidence of this bacteria.
0: Okay, so you're definitely starting to learn about this thing. You've been analyzing samples from across the country. You know, are you seeing the same potential pathogen in new hampshire as you're seeing in oregon
2: yeah funny enough new hampshire and oregon yeah um colorado sent us some great samples and talked to some really awesome clinicians there and out of the 31 samples we tested colorado none had genetic material from this bacteria oh which was surprising oh Um, that's
0: interesting yeah yeah so uh,
2: like in southern california contemporaneous to the pops in colorado and rhode island they had an outbreak of respiratory disease and that ended up being a known pathogen, Streptococcus equi, subspecies zooepidemicus, or people just call it strep zooep sometimes because it's real cool. Um, So cool. (laughs) uh, Yeah, so, I mean, there's nothing cooler than talking about, like, microbes. True. So that's a pathogen that sort of emerged a decade or so ago to be an impactful pathogen in dogs in like, group housing situations. And so that's one of the things that's an important part of What's going on is we have to, in each case, do the sort of normal investigation first.
0: Right. Well, what I'm getting from you is that, you know, all of these different uh, reports of outbreaks of this one mysterious illness. What I'm getting from you is that while in New Hampshire and Oregon, that was in fact the case, it's not the case everywhere. In some places, it was an outbreak of something that we had previously identified and knew about. So why is it so hard to break down and identify what this new
2: pathogen is. So DNA has a four base pairs, A, T, G, and C. And A and T pair together, and G and C pair together. So this bacteria has a very AT rich genome. And the most commonly used sequencing technology is Illumina base, so NovaSeq, uh, MySeq, HiSeq. And it has the probes that it uses to generate the sequencing. There's no direct, it's, it's not biased as far as like, it's sequencing everything, but the probes that it has. If you were to send through like a swab of your nose or my nose, it's going to be 99% us and 1% like our microbiome and some pathogens. And if you're going to send through you or me, the, our, we're, our normal GC content, which is a lot higher than this bacteria, will outcompete the bacteria it won't be able to be picked up. So that's one of the reasons. Another is
0: meaning that you are getting a lot of dog in your samples.
2: Right. And and that even taking out the dog, we're going to have normal dog respiratory bacteria which have a um quotes more normal GC content which will outcompete mm-hmm. this. And so there's other laboratory methods we're going to use um to sort of more likely select for this type of pathogen and then um, it's not an easily cultured. It won't come up on standard bacterial culture. And so we're going to be working with an expert in culturing fastidious small bacteria. And if we can culture it, that would be a really huge step.
0: Okay. So it really is about, you know, getting that dog DNA out of the way and and sifting through the rest of what's part of the the respiratory microbiome to really identify and drill down and identify this one potential pathogen and really identify it.
2: Right, and so it's a, it's an interesting combination of like the bioinformatics and analysis data analysis wizards at the genome center, and then also then uh, myself and my colleagues at the diagnostic lab, looking through the data and being like, well, this is a pathogen, this is this is nothing, right? This is something we see when we culture all the time. It's just background. So, you know, it's a it's an interesting combination of like the most fancy sequencing and informatics pipelines and then like people getting their eyeballs on it and, and talking and thinking
0: <laughs> yeah what you're describing is like oddly old school uh even though you're using like the most advanced machines that we have to do this kind of work it's sort of wild right
2: thankfully um ai hasn't gotten rid of me yet
0: Right. Well, there, there you go. One example where we still need human eyeballs and a brain. That's all the time we have for now. I'd like to thank my guest. Dr. David Needle is a pathology section chief at the New Hampshire Veterinary Diagnostic Laboratory and a clinical associate professor at the University of New Hampshire in Durham.
2: Thank you.